I think it's a pile of crap. It just demonstrates they don't understand the industry and they have some construct in their mind they're trying to apply to it that's actually outdated and irrelevant. (laughs) Thanks for not being around the bush on that. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Gaming News Canada show presented by Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt LLP. It is Thursday, December 7th, so there's only 17 days left to get your Christmas shopping done, folks. And oh yes, I'm your host, Steve McAllister. Uh, We have another jam-packed hour to cover another busy week in the world of sports betting and gaming Canadian style. Paul Burns, the president and chief executive officer of the Canadian Gaming Association, will be with us a little later to discuss the CGA's two-day symposium and annual general meeting, which wrapped up yesterday. We'll also ask Paul about the Ontario Auditor General's latest thoughts on the province's regulated marketplace, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into some other topics as well. As usual, we're joined by Amanda Brewer, Phil Gray, but first, we want to welcome back to the show Natalie Bergeron, the spokeswoman of the Quebec Online Gaming Coalition. The coalition's had its own full plate the past couple of weeks, uh, making public the uh, the results of its latest survey and announcing this week as well its newest partner, GeoComply. Bonjour, Natalie. Good afternoon. Good, ça va? Very well. How are you? Good. Very good. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for coming back, Natalie. And uh, like I said, a busy uh Busy week. Maybe we'll start by just talking about the most recent announcement, and that's uh, bringing on GeoComply as a partner. I mean, uh, the coalition, which was set up back in uh, June, I believe, is, is mainly comprised of, of um, sportsbook and iGaming operators in the, that are currently in the Ontario marketplace. Bringing in GeoComply adds a bit of a different layer to the uh, to the coalition. It does, and. You know, we're pursuing the activities that we've been doing. You know, last week we released survey results. So I think uh, partnering with GeoComply will be very important for us as we continue to port to give a real portrait of the situation in Quebec. You know, what's really happening on the ground, which is going to give the government food for thought. Yeah, and as I mentioned in the newsletter this morning, Natalie, the timing is pretty good for this announcement. Uh, Lindsay Slater at the GeoComply office opening in Toronto uh, a little over a week ago now talked about uh, GeoComply support for bringing the regulated uh, gambling model to to other provinces across across Canada. Um, Lindsay reiterated that during her appearance on, on on LinkedIn Audio last week, and and again, it just seems that you know, GeoComply is a company that's based in Vancouver, so it does have Canadian roots. So it, it doesn't really come as a great surprise that they're they're hopping on board with the coalition. And we're very, very excited to be working with them. Hey, let's let's get into this the survey results, Nally, that uh, that the coalition announced last Friday. Um, we dedicated a good chunk of the Tuesday newsletter to it. But just quickly walk through. This is um, uh, the survey done by the uh, by Main Street Research on behalf of the coalition. Uh, I, I guess the major bullets from this is are. Um, 73% of players in Quebec right now are, are playing on privately operated platforms for, for sports betting and on, on like casino games. Um, 72% of, of customers who use Lotto Quebec's Espacia are, are only doing so to, to buy lottery tickets. And so when you look at that, it really means that um, only 27% of players in the province are using are using Lotto Quebec for, for sports betting and iGaming. And then I guess the other, you know, the other bullet of, of interest, Natalie, is, you know, more than two thirds of the, of the participants in the survey. I think it was just over a thousand uh, participants 
said they're in favor of regulating private online gaming operators by creating, quote, a licensing and, and tax re regime. W was there anything in the study, Natalie, that really surprised you, or was it just um, a validation of what uh, the coalition has said since it got formed, was that there is, um, there is a need for a regulated model in Quebec? Well, I think, you know, you just mentioned the two thirds of players uh, in favor of a, of a regulated market. What's interesting is that earlier this year, we did a survey with more of the general population and the results were quite similar. So it is very interesting to see that gamers themselves are seeing a need for this and would be welcoming such a system. So to us that that you know that speaks volume to the reality of of what's happening and and the benefits that the players are seeing of a system like this. I guess the other thing I mentioned too, Natalie, that was of interest is fifty six percent of the surveys respondents uh, agreed that creating an independent regulator to, to oversee betting and gaming will provide greater oversight about consumer safety and responsible gambling. And I think that's something that maybe as a owner gets talked about a lot is there really isn't a regulatory body within the provincial government right now to oversee the industry, is there? Uh, no, Little Quebec pretty much self-regulates, which to me is a bit of a of a nonsense. And if you're looking at the NATO report from uh, 94, that's uh, that, that from 2014, my apologies, 10 years before, uh, they were already pointing out that having Little Quebec having commercial activities and having, uh, you know, like the responsible gaming responsibility was a nonsense. It was like asking Dracula to supervise the blood bank. It makes right. no real sense. And this is something we've been asking since the beginning, since the beginning of the coalition. You know, we were asking for the licensing model, but we were asking for a regulatory body. And interestingly, recently, uh, Montreal Public Health also uh, brought that topic back to the surface when discussing uh, the gaming salon uh, recommendations uh, for downtown Montreal. The, the one thing that's it's, it's interesting, I had a chance to, to speak with Troy Ross from TRM Public Affairs last night, and, and we were talking a bit about, uh, about the survey results, Natalie, and... Um, you know, Troy kind of wondered if, if, and again, we we did reach out to a lot of Quebec for the Tuesday newsletter. Um, they've been pretty consistent with regards to their stance on on what the coalition is trying to do, and you know, they believe any other operators uh, operating in Quebec right now are doing so illegally, and and they reinforce the point that they say a lot of Quebec's the only legal option for for gaming in the in the province. Um, Troy was just kind of was wondering if it's, you know, how much of a lot of Quebec's concern is, is uh, at some point having, having the competition. And then to your point is, you know, having, having someone regulate them and, and being accountable is something that they're, uh, you know, that they would probably be concerned about. Well, what we're seeing is a monopoly trying to protect itself. I mean, in any industry, in any business, Usually you look at your market share and at customer preferences and you are looking at attracting and seducing your consumers, not at necessarily finding ways to prevent the competition from doing so. And yes, we're doing, you know, we're dealing with what's supposed to be a monopoly, but there's going to be a point where they're going to have to uh, acknowledge the fact that 
their offering is not what's seducing Quebec players right now. And now they let, let you get Amanda Brewer in here quickly. Just, you know, the other thing that Troy and I talked about last night, it's, it's interesting, Amanda. And again, you, you may correct me here, but it, it this seems that the OLGs had a different thought process with the market here. I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, they weren't doing cartwheels when, when it was announced that Ontario was going to open a regulated marketplace. But at the same time, as we point out in the new newsletter, and we've talked about here time and again, uh, having a regulated market forced OLG to really up his game, especially on the digital gaming side and, and businesses continue to grow for OLG within a highly competitive marketplace. Is, is it a fair comment to say that, that Lotte Quebec stance is, is quite a bit different from OLG? Uh, it's a bit of a tricky one for me to answer, um, Steve, because I have never worked for OLG and I wasn't privy to their conversations. I know that certainly in the early days of our market opening, they were certainly trying to wrestle the conduct and manage function away. So I would, you know, knowing that to be, you know, something that happened, I would posit that as we've discussed, there's not a single monopoly in the world that's ever willingly given up its monopoly. Right. So I'm sure there was a lot of back channeling that our lottery corporation was doing to the Ministry of Finance, which it reports through, uh, trying to do whatever it could to hold on to its monopoly. I, I'm absolutely certain that happened. But when operators came in and explained they would have zero interest of coming into Ontario if OLG was responsible for the conduct and manage uh, functions, um, you know, that's when, when the sand really shifted. And yeah, you know, the rising tide floats all boats. There is, there is that, um, there is that, um, you know, that, that idiom for, for a reason. And it stands to reason Lado Quebec or BCLC um, or any of the other lottery corporations would experience a, a, you know, a similar rise. There will be always a percentage of the population that will feel comfortable playing with the lottery corporation offering. But Natalie is a thousand percent right when she says that, you know, what the lottery corporations are offering is not enough to entice players. That's not what they're looking for. They're not right now competing with what the offshore operators can offer who are more experienced at this, for whom they're not, you know, worrying about running casinos and, you know, offering lottery tickets and all the rest of it. You know, they're, they're, fully invested in online sports and online casino. Um, and there's a reason why they've been very successful for so long, because they know their product, they know their customer, um, they know the market very, very well. So, you know, I, it remains a bit of a mystery to me why heads are still being stuck in the sand. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's an inevitable tide that is now changing with Ontario being the first province to go into the licensing and the registration of the offshore operators. And I, you know, I really hope that there are governments that will be uh, savvy enough, um, aware enough, um, objective enough to understand that this is just the way the world's going. Hey, a question, Amanda, I'll start with you too, but I want to get Natalie's thoughts on this as well. Like having, having uh, regu regulated gambling, has that, well, has that also helped OLG or, or, um, just in terms of you know things like compliance and responsible gambling and payouts and all the issues that we talk talk about here, does that have having a, a competitive marketplace? Is there a trickle down impact on on issues like that as well? 
There would be because the standards came into place and OLG on that side of things is, is an operator just like any of the other operators in the market and they have to follow the same standards. So I'm sure it's fair to say that there was a little bit of house cleaning they had to do on their end to pull their standards up so that they would be compliant. But that's to everyone's benefit. That's to every customer's benefit. Um, OLG has done very well, but it also has very different budgets than other operators. Um, so it has a distinct advantage in terms of, you know, its advertising budget, its marketing budget, its sponsorship budget. It has much deeper pockets than a lot of the other operators as well. Right. And, and Natalie, just with a lot, in terms of a lot of Quebec, it, it, is it your belief that a regulated marketplace that would would force a lot of Quebec as well, that there probably are improvements that it can make to its product? And, and again, around those areas like like compliance and, and paying their customers out. I can't talk for them. What I, the benefit I see is, 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 you know, standardizing responsible gaming measures for all of the platforms. And that's to the benefit of all the players. The other question I want to ask Natalie, again, we talked about this in the news, Larry, you and I spoke about it late last week when the survey results came out and, and uh, it's just the conversations that that the coalition is having with the provincial government. We we did work reach out to the Eric Gerard, uh, the finance minister's office on uh, on Monday, and and uh, we you know got a polite reply that they they weren't they weren't going to comment on the latest survey results. But can you just bring our, our audience up to speed on on what conversations, if any, have been had with the uh, with provincial government in Quebec? Our team has met with the minister's office earlier this summer, and uh, we've been sharing information regularly with uh, with that team. Uh, obviously, we're hoping that the more information we put in front of them, uh, you know, the further that conversation uh, will go. Uh, obviously, they're making decisions based on data that they're getting from the Quebec mainly, so that's why we feel it is important to bring up. Uh, a real portrait of the situation so that they can make more enlightened decisions. Um, the reality is that the majority of players are now playing on privately operated platforms. It's it's a reality that we can't ignore for that much longer, both in terms of you know players' protection and responsible gaming, but also in terms of revenue for the province of Quebec. I think the other thing you mentioned too, Natalie, and I can't remember whether or not I, I got in the newsletter on on Tuesday, was just the fact that um, you know the, the the provincial government in Quebec they they see what's going on. Ontario's right next door; we're we're neighbors, so they see what the kinds of programs and policies that Ontario puts into place. And and quite often, Quebec, uh, you know, I think probably on on both sides of the ledger will will copy copy certain models. And I th think you mentioned to me you were. You were a little bit surprised that um, that that the the government isn't taking a stronger look or or more interest in seeing what's going on in Ontario. Well, it, it, it it's a bit of a running gag that our government tends to compare itself to Ontario's and has been doing so quite regularly in the past few years. So yes, this is an instance where I would like to see my government uh, looking at what's being done uh, next door and and inspiring itself from it. Uh, at the same time, if they're not getting the right data to make the you know to make their own uh, to, to come to their own conclusions, even Ontario it. The, the results in Ontario will not sway them until they have a clearer picture of what's going on in the market here. And 
and that's what we're trying to do right now. Uh, Natalie, last question: Where where does where does the coalition go from here? Well, we're in this for the long run. We knew this would not be something that would uh, you know happen uh, quickly, but we are hoping that we continue to uh, give uh, food for thought to the government, but that we're also uh, continuing the dialogue and, and, and making people talk. Um, I think that's been a great success from our efforts since the very beginning of the coalition. We've generated conversation that was not happening. Uh, and everybody I'm talking to and everybody I'm hearing talking about the topic are now seeing the value of a licensing system and are now becoming aware of what's happening in Ontario because we haven't seen a lot of coverage about that uh, here in the media. So we're going to continue our efforts to bring that to the forefront and uh, continue as well to gather information about players' habits and preferences so that we can, uh, we can continue to adapt. Natalie Bergeron is the chief spokesperson for the um, Quebec Online Gaming Coalition. Uh, Natalie, thanks so much for joining us. If we don't talk before the end of the year, uh, best wishes for a, a wonderful holiday season. And uh, we do look forward to speaking with you very early in 2024. Thank you for having me and happy holidays. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada show is presented by Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com slash gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot com forward slash gaming. Hey there, sports fans. Are you looking for fresh and fun takes on the hottest topics in Canadian sports? Well, we've got just what you need. Introducing Homestand Sports Today, your go-to daily sports newsletter, bringing you the Canadian angle on the hottest NHL, NBA, footy stories, and more right to your inbox. But wait, there's more. Homestand Sports isn't just another text-heavy newsletter. Every story has its own video featuring our talented hosts like me, Albert Vartanian, giving you a newsletter experience like never before. And did I mention it's a free subscription? Subscribe now at homestand.ca. Now back to the show. Let's move quickly to uh, to Paul Burns, who's been patiently waiting in the wings. Paul, the, the president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association. And uh, Paul, I'm thinking that you, you probably haven't yet had a chance to come up for air this week. Uh, a two-day symposium that started Tuesday in, in downtown Toronto. And uh, I did have a chance to get 15 or 20 minutes with you yesterday afternoon after a couple of afternoon meetings. But it's been... Uh, it's been a busy week for the Canadian Gaming Association. Hi, Steve. Yeah, no, it has been. Um, it's been a good, uh, we had a good couple days. Um, uh, this, our symposium day uh, was uh, extremely well attended and a uh, great uh, workshop in the morning led by Tracy Parker from the RGC. Uh, got everybody very engaged and talking about the guiding principles. And for us, it was, um, you know, a chance is we, we get to lay out some of the projects that are coming out of of this action plan. Um, the CTA started working on this uh, almost a year ago. Um, there have been a focus for the past year with, uh, with um, uh, member surveys, some focus groups, some discussions with other industry associations um, and how they've approached um, 
promoting responsible play. And so it was, uh, this is a bit of a culmination of getting um, uh, the project out to the membership and out to the industry and start the, the, the dialogue because uh, obviously there's a lot of work for industry to give us input and help and create this. Everybody's going to, you know, the industry is going to have a chance to inform and help build us uh, the programs and, and the initiatives that we will undertake. And obviously we outlined one of the first ones is a national responsible gaming advertising code, working with ad standards. Um, and Catherine Bape from ad standards uh, outlined how, what they do and how they work and, uh, and a bit of a, uh, uh, an outline of the process for the development of that, which will be, widely consulting industry for uh, their input so it's been um it was great and a lovely kickoff and now we're off and running and and uh, a chance to uh, get some uh, get some of the initiatives uh, to life hey paul um part of our conversation yesterday was on the fact that that canada does have quite a long uh, and illustrious reputation on responsible gambling. You, you look at programs like OLG with the, the Play Smart program, BCLC with, with GameSense, um, what the Responsible Gambling Council has done. You know, when you, you mentioned that kind of renewed commitment to responsible gambling, what, what does that mean? Like, how, what's, what's, what's the next step in taking what's been a pretty good model in this country and making it even better and, and you know, a regulated marketplace like Ontario and, and thinking other jurisdictions in the future? Um, it's, it's having to talk about it more often, um, to be blunt. Um, one of the things that we saw that we presented research from NIPSOS uh, talked about some of the industry's perception and some of the challenges we have. Um, but also talked a lot about the opportunities in front of us is that if people understood more about and when they do understand more about the gaming industry, there's greater acceptance. And so that requires we have to talk about it and talk about it more and talk about what we do, how we do it, uh, that commitment um, that, uh, you know, any operator um, approaching, um, you know, promoting responsible play, um, player protection initiatives, they're, they're doing, they're not forced to do these things. They want to do these things. They want to have healthy relationships with their customers. And that's when they, they lead in, they lean in from that perspective. And, and so simply to say in some cases that there's, you know, jurisdictions and regulators have rules is great. It's nice to know that people can know that there are rules and, and, and oversight, but they also need to know that the commitment from industry goes above and beyond those. And that's part of what I think where we want to go. Um, is being able to um, ensure the public understands what we do, that there's trust uh, and respect and appreciation for all of the efforts that are made. And so that's part of this is about talking about what we do more often. And I get a unique view um, because I look at all the jurisdictions in Canada. I see all of the amazing work that's going on. And the sum of all of the parts is pretty amazing. And that often doesn't shine through. And that's one of the things we want to be able to do. Thank um, you. You, uh, you mentioned the Ipsos uh, survey and, and you had uh, Sean Simpson from Ipsos make a presentation on 
Tuesday afternoon and there are a couple of things that struck out to me from reading uh, Marquise's article in, the, in CDC Gaming Reports uh, last night and uh, which we, we point to and, and mentioned in the newsletter this morning. And um, again, that, you know, I think it's one, one in 10 Ontario adults over the age of 19 bet, bet on uh, or better gamble uh, once a week. And that, you know, there was a kind of 40% of the people in the survey didn't realize that there is a regulated model in, in this province. So I, I, again, I guess two things. One, you mentioned to me yesterday that that one in 10 number didn't didn't surprise you. And then the 40% kind of speaks to the fact that, that uh, and I don't, I don't think the, you know, the Canadian Gaming Association doesn't, uh, shouldn't be the only ones taking blame on this. I think the, the provincial government probably could have done a better job telling the story around regulated gambling. Um, I certainly think, you know, the, the commit, the Alcoholic Gaming Commission in Ontario, iGaming Ontario, so it's kind of a group effort and, and the people in the industry telling that story themselves. But what, what struck out more, most to you about the, uh, about the survey results from Ipsos? Um, yeah, I wasn't, I mean, the, the, you know, in terms of gambling weekly and things like that, and the percentage of the population, I think it's in line with what we know, um, participation rates are in gaming, um, often done more often on an annual basis in terms of participation but one of the things that you take away from this and there's no one to blame for any of this this is the whole exercise was to it was a chance to shine a light on showing what we need to do uh collectively uh, and it's not that someone didn't do but we need to know that we've we've seen it in the way the media has often treated the gaming industry and stories I have a collection of stories where reporters or opinion pieces and podcasts of learned known people who could do research say, well, you know, there should be rules and boundaries around some of this stuff. There are none. And I spent a lot of time in the spring when the advertising consultation created a bit of a media storm. I would send reporters the link to the AGCO standards. So you read these before we talk? Because, and then to understand what this regulatory regime in Ontario replaced. And it's something that Natalie was just talking about in terms of, you know, creating a regulated marketplace where there was none. That minors could access gaming sites, that there was no RG protection, there was no oversight, KYC. Um, and Ontario shouldn't be pillared for this. This should be applauded. Other lottery corporations and provinces shouldn't be snickering in Ontario. They should be asking, how do we get it done the same way? And that's because it is regulated gaming brings greater consumer protection and oversight also brings greater consumer choice. And that's what we tried to show through this is the fact that there's, it, it's not as good as it could be, that there's a, a vacuum in the public's knowledge of regulated gaming in Ontario and we need to get out there and talk about it. And, you know, Ipsos and Sean in the presentation, you know, there was four steps, which he outlined was one building familiarity with the iGaming sector builds trust. Building familiarity with the regulator framework will help fill the void of people who don't think or think there should be more regulation, even though they don't know what regulation is, or they don't care. They're not gambling. They haven't paid attention. But anybody asked if there should be more of something, they said, sure. And demonstrate our commitment to how the industry 
interprets those regulations and promotes responsible play and advertising. And then telling people that this is why you should gamble with these sites because there's this protection and this oversight and there's trust. And that the black market, which people don't know the difference often in the, in the numbers, I think they should, between what's a regulated site and an unregulated site, um, needs to be better. And that helps everybody. And that's, you know, none of this is, is, is um, it wasn't terribly surprising. It was just to quantify it and present it in a package that sort of said, hey, this is what we need to do. And we all have a responsibility um, in this. And so we're going to take this now and then start to figure out what the next steps of how to address the issues that have been identified and the opportunities that have come that's, that are in that Ipsos research to put the a better, a more consistent communication of the industry's positions and how we do things and, and the great work that every operator is doing um, to promote responsible play and health. Um, because I, having been around the industry maybe too long, <laughs> some <laughs> people may think, but long enough to know, I've seen that, that there's gaming industry in this country and many others is littered with regulations and policies that were developed by government to make headlines go away, not to make the fact that they were effective or not. And, you know, I think the industry wants, we'll do what's effective. We're going to do what's right. But, you know, knee jerk responses by governments and it's understandable and having worked with them and know, you, you know, you're managing issues, but, if we can get out and tell our story on a more regular basis and, and a clear approach to how our commitment is to player health, I think it's better for everybody. Hey, Amanda, you've uh, you've worn a couple of hats over the the past two plus years. One one as a as a working for an operator and, and one working with Paul at the Canadian Gaming Association. Any any additional thoughts on what Paul's comments are? No, he's he's absolutely right, and I it's something Paul and I talked about pre-market opening was that, you know, almost from day one, the need for this type of public education campaign, because, you know, Paul was was there at the time too, but, you know, 10 years ago, when we tried to put a very tiny casino in downtown Toronto, it was roundly defeated. And not just because Rob Ford was mayor of Toronto um, at the time, but because of the public campaigns that sprang up with very prominent Torontonians, you know, sort of admonishing us that you know sodom and gomorrah would descend on the on the streets of toronto and turn every child within 100 kilometers into you know degenerate youth gamblers and you know this many years later with the launch of a regulated market the same accusations i'm being slightly you know exaggerating slightly but the same accusations are basically being flung at us all over again um and it's 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 you know, on one hand, very disheartening that we're almost two years into a regulated legal market and there's still such um, an abject failure of all the stakeholders, primarily at the at the regulatory or the government level, but all the stakeholders to have gone out and really aggressively educated through the media, through their communication channels, you know, conference, whatever you want, but to go out and talk about what that is, because you know, we have great channelization results in that first year. I don't know how much the mo the needle will have moved by the second year. So that we know there are still black market operators in Ontario um, that are accessing customers here now. And that's part of the challenge too, which is like without educating the public 
on what's going on and knowing that we still have some black market operators in the market, um, there, there is still risk here, you know, which, you know, I didn't mean to Steve, but could segue <laughs> if you want to talk to Paul about the AG's report, but there's still risk being, you know, right now in this province in terms of not having a, a fully cleaned up market and a public that's sitting there being completely unaware that they're actually rigorous checks and balances and controls in place. And that if you violate some of them, you could actually lose your license. Yeah, thanks for that segue, man. We'll do that before I, I get uh, Chris Abbott and Phil Gray to weigh in. But yeah, uh, Paul, uh, Dr. Karen Schnarr, the, the CEO of the AGCO, she, she did speak, I think, on Tuesday as well. And, and she did provide an update on around the advertising standards. Yeah, and I think that the one that, you know, what I took away is obviously they've they've been very um, made themselves available to any operator and other stakeholders who want to uh, meet. And they've been having, um, um, they've reported back on uh, in high level kind of what they've they've heard. And, and now, um, you know, Karen made the commitment to release an update on, on for guidance before uh, the holidays. Um, with an understanding there'll be another round of consultation on that document. And I think that's exactly what we've always wanted is that uh, any discussions around advertising is it's not a, they should be continual and not one-offs um, because it's a dynamic that will continue to change. Um, what have we seen in the past year? We knew the first year brought, you know, a lot of operating new operators to market, a lot wanting to establish brand, a lot of people in the advertising and television advertising and other advertising. Uh, and then we've seen it now begin to level off and, and dip back down. And right. that's, you know, and I think everybody knew that was going to happen. That's what, um, you know, I would have preferred AGCO to wait and, and more time and begin a discussion before drafting a standard. Yeah, we would have. We've made that very clear. Um, we wanted a dialogue in the absence of a standard uh, because we want to do things that are effective. No one violated any of this, the advertising standards relating to um, use of any that would influence minors. Um, no one was called on the carpet for it. Uh, why? Because, well, there's a lot of checks and balances in the system. There's things like pink TV and their policies that are in place. And, and there's, so there's, there was a need to, to talking about, what issue we're trying to solve and and a lot of it was around volume right um, you know we worked at that ad standards sent us they had 130 complaints last year about gaming um nine of those were related to content the rest were just why am i seeing these ads which is just you know cranky people deciding to send them emails that they why well, shouldn't see this because i right. don't like it well you don't like it that's fine change the channel um but that's, but we, you know, where are we now? Well, advertising volumes have dropped uh, in, on television in particular. Um, because, you know, brands are more established, the marketing strategies move on, and the market begins to enter into a maturity phase that will, over the next several years, will recur. Um, but let's then where are our issues around advertising and what do we need to do? And it was always nothing that everybody wasn't talking about ensuring that we're 
we're not appealing to minors and, and you know, youth, uh, you, you know, youth who are becoming of age to be able to bet on sports and other things. How are they interacting with our product? These are discussions companies were having and, and the industry was having anyway. So for all of this, though, is that we're now in a position where we're consulting and talking. And that's important. And that has to continue. And so we're grateful for that from Karen. Paul, when it was announced in, I think, back in August that, that Karen was going to replace Tong Mungam as the CEO, there, there did seem to be optimism from people within the, in, within the industry that um, the relationship between the industry and the AGCO was going to get back to one of a little bit more collaboration and consultation. And, and it would seem that that that's, appears to be the case since Karen moved into the chair. Oh, it has been. I mean, uh, you know, in introducing Karen on Tuesday was, you know, made the point that, you know, 15 days into the job, she went to G2E to interact with the industry and their stakeholders. And she has made herself um, very available to meet, you know, in the 45 days since then. Um, and I can't say that I think everybody was 60 days in, she has made uh, great strides to interact with the industry and was eager to come on Tuesday just for a chance to um, meet with CGA members that, that she may not have met and a chance to introduce herself and and uh, and talk about the work they're doing. So, no, it's it's been uh, – she's done a tremendous amount of work in a very short period of time in, in terms of knowing and communicating that there's, there's room for dialogue and – um, and that's a reflection of Karen. She's uh, incredibly bright. I challenge anyone: anyway, don't go to a meeting without having read the information because she will have read it and then <laughs> some. Um, and uh, because she's brilliant at public policy and and will be a, a great advocate for the AGCO. Hey, I want to get uh, I want to get Chris Abbott and Phil Gray in here because Chris, both you and Phil have, have uh, you know have worked in worked in the former gray market in Canada, have worked with uh, worked with operators in, in the regulated environment, and I just want to get both of your thoughts just on Paul and Amanda's comments about you know telling telling that story about the a regulated industry and and the industry working together to to do a better job of communicating that. Any any thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think if we roll back the tape, you'll hear probably all three of us speaking about that a year ago, two years ago as well. Um, and it's, it's not something I think it was Paul just said, you know, a lot of people were focused on on their own initiatives and getting brand awareness out and, and maybe the education piece was kind of, you know, everybody looked around and said we should do this, but nobody kind of took the took the reins and did it. Um, and I think it's natural in our in our society the same way it was when cannabis was was legalized. Oh, there's going to be a store on every corner. And there was for a little bit. But not everybody's walking around high as a kite and, and you know, a lot of those stores have gone by the wayside now. And, and that's just the nature of a, an open and competitive marketplace. And um, I would say that would have been an analogous situation and that there wasn't a lot of education done and then people were left to go with what they knew or thought they knew about a certain industry and a certain product. And because, you know, gambling, alcohol, uh, drugs can be, um, you know, classified in, in the same kind of sin group, then, then there'll always be a section that, that runs with that story. And it is oftentimes the loudest. So, um, it was an opportunity missed for sure. And, um, I guess the, the best, the next best time to start with the education for the public is now. 
Uh, Phil? Yeah, but, I mean, it's very interesting in Ontario right now, a lot of the operators that are there and operating under uh, license and, and the regulated conditions are operators that were there before operating, uh, you know, um, and has self-regulated uh, for many, many years. Uh, as Chris was saying, there's, you know, there's there's some apples in the bunch, certainly from, um, you know, I'll, I'll name it Costa Rica for sure. Um, it's... Uh, hmm. I have a lot of different opinions on on, on the subject. Not sure a lot of them would be, would be that popular. I mean, go to Quebec. I'm here, Steve. Uh, you know, I've been here for a number of years. I'm no huge fan of uh, Lotto Quebec, but I know exactly you know what their stance is right now. They're operating their market, and they're quite content with the way they're operating their market. They have a great chunk of the pie right now, over 400 million in online gaming revenue as of June of this year. Um, there's a number of, uh, of players in this province that I know that have been with um, with sites for the past couple of decades, and you wouldn't have been with those sites if if there was uh, you know nefarious um, goings on and not getting paid out or or you know being gypped. That kind of uh, premise has been put on the gray industry. Again, there are some bad apples, absolutely, but uh, the majority of it, and more majority of them are European operators who are now operating. In North America, have been self-regulated for a long time, and some of you know what's being proposed at Quebec government right now, which is a different bureaucracy here. You have to you have to understand that it's, it's different from other provincial governments. There's many different level, levels. There's a lot of different players. Um, Quebec is unique. Um, it will be a hard sell here, but I, I do have you know um, again, Quebec has kind of got its back up because um, you know people are going and saying, well, you know. You have no idea about or or your your lacks on responsible gaming and actually you, you know what they're not i mean for a couple of decades the quebec uh, lotto corporation here has paid you know uh, over 20 million dollars a year to the minister de santé de services um uh, they have yeah there's a game shivermanygame.com which is right on their lotto quebec um website they have edoju uh, a 24-hour 1-800 number confidential free you can call in if you're uh, uh a family member if you think somebody has a problem they are doing a lot you know and you know they, they've been uh, certified with the wla the world lottery uh, um, assembly which you know it, that's big and you know they have certification so and 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 that's an audit that you have to go through and as part of um you know part of the gray industry here that that was self-regulated for um a long time we we went through many audits you know with the ganawage gaming commission you know um it's twice a year it's very strict so i kind of i ha do have issue with sometimes with the blanket that's put on some of the outside operators that um um it's it's, it's a criminal enterprise and, and and clients are at risk absolutely I, again there are a few but uh, i think especially going back to quebec right now with you know with some of the sites that are going into quebec and say you're not doing it right and we, we know how to do it well you've been operating in quebec illegally and some still are Great. Thanks for that, uh, Phil. Hey, Paul, I just also want to mention, too, uh, report this morning, there, you, you did add a couple of new board members yesterday at, at your AGM, um, Kurt Jusane from Aristocrat, Aristocrat Gaming and uh, Scott uh, Scott Woodgate, uh, the Canadian country manager for, for Bed MGM, were appointed to the CGA's board. Um, the other thing I was going to mention, Paul, you, I think you mentioned you had almost 90, 90 people in, in the room down in downtown Toronto for the for the day and a day and a half or two days that you were together. And um, 
I, I got to just say to you and Amanda that there's got to be benefit. Again, I know that we, we go to these conferences every year and you do bump into people from the industry there, but I got to believe that just having people in the room focused on, on Canada for two days, that there, there has to be benefit for that, uh, around that for the association. Oh, there is. It's, it's, it's always um, great to get, find a reason to get people together. Um, and we had um, people traveled long and far to join us this week um, from, from UK, from um, Nevada, and from other provincial jurisdictions. Uh, people came uh, to participate. And that was, uh, it was a great exercise for that. And, and it's a very diverse um, makeup of the room from crown agencies to suppliers to operators to um, uh, consultants and others um, from even some from the treatment side that were in the room uh, to offer perspective. Uh, it was excellent in that regard. And it's always, um, it's always productive and it's always, there's great conversations that go on and I've uh, got a lot of other work done <laughs> on issues with people in the room. Um, and, and so we're, you know, that's, uh, we'll find more reasons to do these and we've got lots more to talk about in the coming years. So they're always good to do. Um, and uh, so, no, it is, there's lots of benefits from putting a lot of people in a room. For Amanda? Day, so. oh, sorry, Paul. Yeah, Amanda? I mean, we're such a small industry still, all things considered, that whenever you put us together in a room, you know, you're, you're always, you're, you're seeing people you haven't seen in a while. There's so much to catch up on. Um, but I think what Paul had organized was something that was very unique. Um, you know, the last time we brought the industry together like this, it was to celebrate the launch of, of you know, the one-year anniversary of the launch of the market. But it's it's rather unique to have had, as Paul said, you know, from the RGC and treatment side. Um, I know from the RSVP list, we did have a lot of treatment people in the room together with both sides of the, the regulators. Um, IGO and AGCO were there. A lot of their senior people came, a lot of old G people, operators. Um, so, you know, when we talk about all the stakeholders, you know, that come together to make this a viable, sustainable industry, um, that was represented in spades and kudos to Paul for, for coming up with that because um, as Chris said, since we've missed the boat with, you know, trying to educate people before the market launch, now is the next best time. And I, I really, truly believe that. I'll just mention as well, if there's anybody listening today or, or listens to the podcast who wants more information on the Canadian Gaming Association, you can just go to canadiangaming.ca. Um, Paul, while we have you, I'd also like to get your thoughts. Um, we wrote in the newsletter this morning, uh, Adam Greenblatt, the chief executive officer for, for BetMGM, had a presentation with, uh, with the business community on Monday and, and talked about how pleased he was with, with the performance of the business in Ontario so far and, and pointed to uh, you know, BetMGM saying it has 22% of the, the market right now, which is pretty, uh, pretty stunning, um, especially since we tend not to get that kind of you know, detailed information from from the market here. I, I think one of the biggest takeaways for me was Adam talking about, um, you know, just the, the, the idea of having a regulated industry with both sports betting and online gaming has, has really been a boosted bet MGM in, in Ontario. And as we, as we all know, or most of us know on this, uh, in this forum, um, there's still a, a real push to expand uh, uh, legal eye gaming across the United States, but, 
uh, as always tell people that that was such a key part to getting the industry going in Ontario was to have uh, not only regulated sports betting, but to have that eye gaming piece as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the benefit of Ontario and the fact that that the, the, the wide range of products, right. And having that access is extremely important. Um, and you know, some jurisdictions may just look at sports and that's what they want to, I think there's, you're seeing a shift in, even in the United States that the, uh, the opportunity to talk about iGaming, um, is, is uh, iCasinos and stuff like that is coming back because, um, everybody's seeing, you know, obviously sports is great, but, um, there's products out there people want and they're finding it in other places. Um, and why not give the opportunity? Um, and I think, you know, we've got, um, there's been a, a, I think more embracing of creating a, that omni-channel experience with the pens and the Caesars and the MGMs in the United States, integrating uh, gaming into, um, uh, with their land-based customers and being able to extend their rewards programs and do all of those things. And I think that's incredibly important for operators uh, casino operators because they um, they don't want to compete against a a poker stars or a pet MGM or a FanDuel. They want to they're trying to look care of their customer base, grow their own customer base, um, bring people into property. So, you know, I think we've got you know as we look across the country, I think we're starting discussions and we're seeing activity in Alberta and we'll see it in other places. It's going to take a while. Um, but I think everybody's, uh, it's now not a case of, I think if, if it's when for a lot of jurisdictions. Right. Last, last thing I'd like to ask you, Paul, and, and really hope I'm not blindsiding you here, but I'm, I'm sure I'm not, is that the, uh, the, the interim, uh, under general for Ontario put out his, put out his report this week about a bunch of issues, but including the, the online, uh, gaming market and and uh seemed a little chagrined that he doesn't believe there's been a lot of movement made since the last auditor general's report on the industry i guess back in in 2021 jeff jacotney has a really good article on on coverage which we uh we posted on the gaming news canada twitter account earlier but, but paul any any thoughts at all on on the the comments and the report from the auditor general yeah i i, I read the the follow-up section and and it's I mean, uh, there's no nice way to say this, but the, the Auditor General has a view of gaming. I don't know where they get it from. I don't know where they've learned it from. I don't know. It's a legal interpretation that's purported by, I guess, some lawyers in the Attorney General's ministry. Um, you know, this operating mind principle nonsense that they've had is, no, there's no construct in law here. These are policy decisions, and the government of Ontario made the policy decisions. Um, conduct and manage and oversight and, you know, asking IGO to deal with fairness of games because there should be a first line of defense and the AGCO is the second line of defense is nonsense. It just demonstrates they don't understand the industry and they have some construct in their mind they're trying to apply to it that's actually outdated and irrelevant. So I think it's pilot crap. <laughs> uh, th thanks for not being around the bush on that. This is exactly why I told you Paul should be the one to address it, Steve. <laughs> and, and, and address it, you did, Amanda. Um, and no, I, I'll add one more part. It's like, 
the Auditor General umpteen years ago, looking at the AGCO, endorsed their move to a standards outcomes-based regulatory model. And then four years hence in the last few years, they're telling them they're not, they should be writing lists and checking boxes and being more prescriptive. Well, what is it? And this is the kind of nonsense we get from them. And it doesn't help. It doesn't help the agencies be able to do their job because they're looking over their shoulder at an auditor general report every year. And based on opinions and constructs that where they find them is no one can figure out. So maybe the next auditor general will be better. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, that, may, that may be the cold open for our executive producer, Mark Silver, when we put out the, the podcast next week. <laughs> um, Paul, uh, Paul Burns is the president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association. Hey, Paul, thanks, thanks so much for your time. I know it's a busy time, uh, time of year for you, as I, I often joke about uh, when we have you on the pod, on the show and the podcast. That the uh, you know one of the most important hockey coaches in the Greater Toronto Area, with your your other duties as head coach of the Leaside Wildcats uh, U18 girls hockey team, but. Um, busy week for you, so we really appreciate you coming on and, and uh, filling us in on the symposium this week. Well, thanks for having me, Steve. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, l- listen, we want to finish the show on a bit of a, a sober sober note this week. Um, our friend Steve Pastorino from the Blackhawk Network reached out to me uh, just before lunch this morning, and and uh, if, if you haven't read, and probably most people in the industry have because of the connections to, uh, to, to Las Vegas, there was a, a mass shooting on the campus of the University of Nevada yesterday and uh, sadly left, uh, left three people dead and, and a fourth person uh, wounded. And, and Steve, uh, Steve, we get you, get you up here for a couple of minutes to, to finish the show. Uh, Steve's a grad student at the uh, at the University of Nevada. Um, actually, had a son who was just a couple of buildings away from where the shooting uh, the sh- shooting took place yesterday. And uh, again, because so many people in, in this industry have ties to uh, ties to Las Vegas, and and uh, like all of us, were concerned yesterday about who might have been impacted by the shooting. But but Steve, you, you did want to have a chance to come on the show and, and respond to some of the messages that you've received over the past 24 hours. Hey, everybody. Um, the sun came up today in Vegas. It's another gorgeous 65 degree day. Um, it was a really tough one for a lot of us yesterday. And, um, uh, you know, to get that text message from from my son that he was barricaded in a building um, and what was going on outside and to, to feel hopeless uh, and helpless, um was was a really rough day um it it could have been so much worse um and university police responded and within minutes um killed the shooter and um it just it it was an unsettling day and and i i just i i steve put paul simon's uh slip sliding away in the uh newsletter this morning and it was the right thing at the right time and 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 i just felt really grateful um, and we've had an outpouring of support from uh, friends, family, work colleagues, people we do business with. Um, I feel like everybody in this town went to UNLV. Everybody in the gaming industry in this town went to UNLV. We've all been to events at the Gaming Institute and uh, events hosted by the different departments at UNLV. And um, unfortunately, we're, we're, we're tested. Our, our resilience and our strength is tested again this morning. But um, we're strong. 
the sun came up uh, for most of us. Um, uh, it could have been a lot worse. There's four families that are dealing with awful tragedy today. Um, but I just want to say thank you. And, and, and I, it was almost like I asked Steve because I was thinking therapeutically from my own standpoint, it would be um, helpful for me just to talk about it. And I consider some of you my friends and um, uh, members of, of this group are part of the gaming community that have really rallied around us um, today. So I just want to say thank you. And, and yes, indeed, the sun's up. Yeah, very, uh, very eloquently put, Steve. And, and yeah, thanks. Thanks for doing that. And the one thing I'll say, we, we can always debate about, you know, sports betting and, and gaming and, and certain parts of the industry. But I think the one thing that uh, people like Mark Silver and Mike Day and myself, who are real newcomers to this industry, the one thing we've learned since we, we started this, our business back in uh, the winter of 2021, is just, you know, how many outstanding people we've met in this business. And how many uh, how many people we consider to be friends now? Just you know, from spending ten minutes at a conference together, or or uh, you know, people like Paul and, and Amanda who have been so generous with their time, and, and Chris and and Phil uh, since we launched Gaming News Canada as a parlay back in February twenty twenty one, and there is there's a real there, there's a great community within the gambling industry, uh, not just here in Ontario, but across the country, uh, North America. And uh, and around the world, and Steve is just you know it's, it's times like this where you you really you know you find out that you're part of a special a special community. Yeah, Paul made me laugh uh, on on the on the podcast today. You 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 make me laugh. Chris makes me laugh. Um, so um, we, we need that in moments like this. But um, so, anyways, we're all good. Back at it. Back nose yep. to the grindstone. Yep. Thanks, Steve. And just on just on the Paul Simon video this morning, we've got to give a top of, as I always say in the newsletter, a top of the Sherwood to, to Steve Ruddick of the Straight to the Point newsletter. Steve had a, uh, I think it was in his Monday newsletter, had the slip sliding away uh, reference in a headline. So it just, uh, it was a, bat, a batting practice fastball, as they say, to, you know, it's been a while since we've had a good uh, 80s or 90s YouTube video on the newsletter for a while. So, uh, and I'm, I'm a big Paul Simon fan. So it was great to get that song in the newsletter this morning. So thanks. Uh, thanks for that, Steve. And uh, yeah, and, um, listen, think, thinking of everybody affected by what happened yesterday. And, and again, happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you. Same to all of you. Let's uh, let's wrap things up there. Uh, again, thanks so much for Natalie Bergeron from the uh, Quebec Online Gaming Coalition and Paul Burns from the Canadian Gaming Association. Uh, Steve Pastorino from Blackhawk Network, Amanda Brewer, Chris Abbott, uh, Phil Gray, um, for for you know another another great hour of conver conversation about what was happening in in the industry. Um, I do want to let people know uh, next week will be our final uh, Gaming News Canada show of 2023. We're going to try to take a couple of weeks off over the holidays, uh, so we'll do our last LinkedIn audio next week. Put out the podcast early the following week, and then we'll. Uh, We'll, uh, we'll go dark for a couple of weeks. Uh, as you know, Mark Silver, he always works his magic with the recording of these LinkedIn audio sessions. So this will come out in a podcast on Monday. Uh, thanks for everybody for taking the time on a Thursday afternoon to, to join us. Enjoy the rest of the week and we will see everybody again in seven days time. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.